The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Navy Federal has a mission to put members first by making their financial goals the priority. Receive a lifetime of membership benefits to help you and your family accomplish your life missions like a full suite of financial products designed to fit your needs, 24-7 live support, and access to over 300 branches on or near military bases. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app. Message and data rates may apply. All right, big show today. Today, we're going to finish out our season outlooks with Jared Weiss of The Athletic talking about the Boston Celtics. But first, we've got some news that is piled up. Danny is going to join me here. And I think the place to start, as always, for the last month is the Jimmy Butler situation. What is the latest? There isn't really a lot of latest. It feels like we're in a holding pattern of sorts because, or sorry, in terms of the trade front, there's not a lot going on because of the holding pattern of sorts. There is a lot going on not related to the trade front. And I presume that's where you want to start. Yeah, it is. And amazingly, the word now is that Butler is actually expected to play on Wednesday. That despite the theatrics on the previous Wednesday where he went in, arrived at practice late, talked all kinds of shit to Scott Layden and Tom Thibodeau and Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins and then left practice early and then staged an immediate interview with rachel nichols who had flown in for the occasion it clearly appeared to be some kind of an orchestrated way to get out of there but then additional reports coming through that uh, sham saying oh butler is too competitive to miss real games and there's no movement now he's expected to play on wednesday which really while this has been quite theatrical you have to say that if butler really did want out you know he probably should have handled this differently making the formal trade request earlier and leaking it earlier apparently maybe that was his error that he didn't leak it because he supposedly made this request earlier and then also i think you just there are ways to do this a little bit more subtly right like people were talking about oh well you know he's if he doesn't show up and he misses more than 30 days he loses a day of service and nba rules basically make it impossible to hold out and so he, he can't do that well ask uh, vince carter whether it's possible to get out of uh, somewhere you don't want to be ask Allen iverson whether it's possible to get out of somewhere or, or ask kyrie irving if the threat of doing that is enough to get a team to move you right exactly right i mean the, there's things you could do i'm sure uh, now butler did have this hand procedure well why not just wait this elective hand procedure maybe uh oh well i guess i'm really struggling coming back from that or, or maybe you have that later in the off season or you come in and you just and we'll see maybe he'll do this in the regular season but you come in and you just hey you know i'm not really playing with that much effort you know i'm, I'm not actually going to help your team win games uh so it, i i think i'm 
I don't want to say I'm on Jimmy's side here. I mean, there certainly is the idea you have a contract, you owe it to play hard. Now, he didn't sign that contract with Minnesota, but your contract obviously says you can be assigned to another team. Uh, but to me, teams so often have the control over the players and they're not going to wait even a moment to trade someone or cut someone if they think it's in their best interest and so a player trying to do what he believes is in his best interest which is get traded somewhere that he wants to be that can offer him the five-year max contract 190 million next summer with bird rights rather than if he changes teams he can only get four years that fifth year is very important to him uh i understand where he's coming from and i think he should try everything as his disposal i'm just not sure that he they've quite been strategic enough about it yet and maybe what's going to have to happen is he's going to play and prove to Tom Thibodeau, yeah, I'm actually not going to be helping you win. Because uh, that's why Tom Thibodeau wants to hold on to it, right? So he can win and, and, and keep his job. But I've gone on long enough here. What are your thoughts? Well, the other part that, that factors in with this is if Thibodeau is being the optimist that Jimmy's going to keep competing, then that feeds into the idea that they can get better offers. I mean, usually speaking, the passage of time, because that decreases the amount of time that the suitor is going to have the player, that decreases the trade trading teams leverage in in these kinds of situations maybe their argument is that decrease is different than the reassessing of the value of jimmy butler different people have said oh you know he could gain value team gets more desperate during the course of the year but it's still a rental unless you're one of the narrow teams that he's willing to go to and it's a, a real gamble from Thibodeau, an understandable one, because if if he thinks Jimmy Butler is actually going to try his hardest and can actually help their team win, then he's getting that benefit without suffering as much of the downside risk. But that's not a certainty. That's not anything that, that we know at this point. We're just going to have to see what Jimmy Butler shows up. And it was, you never want to read too much into a preseason result. That's not a good idea. But it was striking to see how much that team blanking needed him when they got their butts absolutely handed to them by the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, that was a game that was just an absolute demolition start to finish. And Butler's an important part of their team. And so you have this striking thing of there are players, I mean, we've talked about Josh Richardson, where he's not going to replace Jimmy Butler, but he's still a really good basketball player. But if they're in this kind of middle zone where he's not playing like himself, maybe he's missing some time, then you not only are playing without partial Jimmy Butler or whatever it is, but you're also not getting the replacement for Jimmy Butler, whatever that is in the trade. Yeah, th- that's certainly a- an issue by the way i'm very sad that you didn't start the show after we had you uh uh uh, um not on a couple episodes so we could do the previews not come on like you can't you can't fucking win without me like i, I, I think you, I, you know just it, started the it, show it, like if that. if we hadn't had the conversation at the beginning of the episode i would have but it didn't feel totally appropriate <laughs> but <laughs> Well, it probably didn't feel totally appropriate for uh, oh, the rest of the Oh, it fe- I think it felt totally appropriate. And my favorite thing with that was Anthony Tolliver <laughs> saying he was around. Like, uh, that that was a, a great part of this. And so there really is... I, I wait, 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 hold on. Wait, one, one more thing, though, on that. Like, that is just some great shit talking to, to Scott Layden, like, to, to the GM. Like, you can't win without me. It's like, hey, GM, you suck so badly at your job that all these other guys that you have here... Like, you can't win unless I'm here. Well, and then the other stories, the stories that that. have come out of that scrimmage about the idea that he led the third stringers to beat the the remainder of the starters and guarded, and there's a story out there that he guarded Carl Anthony Towns. Like, that sort of stuff is just spectacular. Because that's not only just shit-talking, that is also delivering at the same time and just breaking people's psyche, which is 
quite amazing. And I mean, it's a part of this that happens. I mean, maybe not to this extent, but it's not often reported. And that was actually something that I think is an important part of the story is the fact that it hit the public consciousness so quickly after it happened. It was within 20 minutes, I think, that practice was over that this was yeah, being I wonder who, how that happened. How does that happen? Who, like so quickly? It's, I, it's shocking. Practice, I mean, breaking the sanctity <laughs> of, this, of the, of it, it, the it, block. It may have actually hit, it may have actually hit like before practice that did because he left, he yeah. left early. <laughs> and, and got there late reportedly. But it, yeah, it's a pretty amazing story. And it really does. It, it, I, what I love about this is that it's ridiculous and entertaining in that, but it also really affects the arc of the league. This is not just a curio of, oh, look at this guy acting out or anything like that. Jimmy Butler is an all NBA caliber player. Like even if I think he's probably outside the MVP conversation, he's still immensely important. And that means whatever team gets him next, whatever Minnesota gets from him now matters to the league. And so there's a lot to, there's a, there's a lot of importance here too. Yeah. I mean that certainly that game on Wednesday will be a uh, must watch TV uh, in San Antonio. They have their own problems, which we'll get to one more thing on, on Butler. He mentioned with Rachel Nichols, you know, every athlete wants to make it sound like it's not about the money, but it's about respect. I think actually to some degree that's, that's true. I mean, I don't think, you know, that Jimmy Butler's life's going to be so different uh, with 110 million as opposed to 150, you know, but uh, one of the things he said to Rachel is like, when they traded for me, they knew what the deal was. And so when you and I talked about this last week, we were saying, well, it didn't really, if they knew that he expected a renegotiation extension in the summer of 2018, they, uh, by the way, to be clear, I think some people misinterpret what we were saying. They could not have offered him the renegotiation extension upon getting him in 2017, because he has to have been three years from when he signed that contract with the Bulls in the summer of 2015. But if they knew that he wanted a renegotiation and extension, and that apparently is what he was telling Rachel, and we'll see whether that's true or not, but or we won't see, but uh, I'm not sure whether to believe that or not. But if that was the case, we weren't saying, oh, you should have like done all these things this last summer to get rid of all these guys and gut your team. They basically would have had to get 10 million under the cap for this next year to renegotiate and extend him. What I was saying, and you were agreeing with, was the moves you made in the summer of 2017, including extending Wiggins, the Teague contract, the Taj Gibson contract as well, going a second year uh, on him, uh, fixed it so that you couldn't actually have cleared that salary. They would have had to be about 20 million lower than they started the 2018 offseason with. Well, guess what? You know, Andrew Wiggins, how much money does he make? Uh, you know, he's making 25, and Taj Gibson is making 14. And so the idea was the failure to plan, if in fact that's what Butler wanted and expected, the failure to plan to do that renegotiation extension in 2017 led to them not having the room in 2018. That, that was the point we were trying to make. There. Additionally, it could also be a failure to communicate because it could just be, hey, if we're yeah. going to really have to sacrifice in order to make this possible, that may or may not be something that we can do. So would you basically, are you guaranteed to sign that? Should we get like that sort of thing? Because he shouldn't be mad about that like now because either they could have told him in 2017, hey, this is impossible. We knew it. Like, I, I mean, I did that piece with John Krasinski about the logistics of a renegotiation and extension. And what I said was basically, it is technically possible, but it is infeasible and or not feasible, whatever. And I and so I kind of dropped it at that point. It's like, yeah, it is technically possible. And that's exactly how Minnesota Thibodeau should have laid in whoever it was, should have framed it to Butler. And if they didn't do that, I mean, then I understand why he's kind of pissed off because these are intricacies that you and I talk about all the time, but players don't internalize this kind of stuff. All right, we got a, a lot more to get to here. But first, this 
from hymns. When I was in law school, about 25, I, I remember the first time I realized that I might be losing my hair. Uh, my friends had uh, taken this photo of me that was kind of a joke. I was eating like a bunch of like Wendy's sitting there and everyone thought it was like so hilarious. I was, you know, and then I, but I was like, hmm, my hair, head was kind of turning this. I was like, I might be kind of losing my hair a little bit on my temples. And so at that time, hymns was not around i certainly would have used it at the time but i did experience some success by trying the pill to treat hair loss and i've managed to keep my hair pretty well over the last 13 years or so and that's really the key is to kind of catch it before it gets to be a main problem and with hymns now it's so much easier to do that they connect you with real doctors they give you medical grade solutions and it's extremely reasonably priced as well you don't have to go to the doctor I mean, there are a bunch of times during my years of taking that that i kind of just let it go because i just couldn't make time to go to a doctor which just seemed ridiculous to, to have to like go through a whole appointment and pay a doctor to get this prescription but now it's just so much easier you answer a few quick questions you chat with the doctor get your confidential review and then the products are shipped directly to your door if you want you can get a trial month of hymns for just five dollars today while supplies last you see their website for full details but again this would cost a lot of money if you went to the doctor or pharmacy but you can get started much more easily with them at four hymns.com slash capspace that's the word for for hymns.com slash capspace and that slash capspace url easy remember we talk about it all the time on the program once again for hymns.com slash cap space let them know if that slash cap space url that you came from us a couple of things to note here just overall league news john gavoni reporting that the nba has altered the days of service rule that pertains to players on two-way contracts per gavoni travel days don't count now against the 45-day limit for two-way contract players in their time with the respective nba teams this became a big problem <clears throat> clippers uh last year where you had all these teams that were running up against the Clippers in particular running up against this 45 day limit and so think of it as a two-way guy you're on the fringes and you're like oh actually you know I did travel that day uh I should have that should account for a day at the NBA level which you know is good for you right like you get paid at the NBA rate while you're up with the, the team and yeah you know what hey I I showed up to uh, the airport and flew southwest to meet the team in, in miserable fashion and you know they made me do that to fly in on the same day as the game so and maybe even fly back that day just so that it wouldn't count more than one day so they can use more of my days like i can't even practice with the team uh, all of that and now if you're on that fringe you can't go and i don't think there even is a procedure to go and challenge it and say oh yeah you know i this actually should have been a day and you're gonna the team is not gonna be happy with you for that you don't really have the power to come in and say yeah you know you should be paying me at the nba rate that day so to take that out it seems like that's something that agents have lobbied for and it seems like it is much fairer to do it that way and then another thing just to note in general john schumann had this pace during the preseason where it's generally a little bit faster because there's so many more turnovers if you think about it a turnover happens early in a possession a lot of times so that makes the pace appear faster but pace is up so much in preseason that you can't just ascribe it to that and so that's going to be something to watch it's been increasing obviously for a while but again these new coaches teams are like yeah you know we're going to run more we're going to run more blah blah so uh be interesting to see how much that changes things but i mean we're getting to the point now where if you're just looking at raw points and rebounds you're 
always missing out building that but especially comparing that to a few years ago and what our expectations are if the pace is going to be that high you know same as in the 1960s you got to really adjust for that and keep that in mind so uh where do you want to go next sir danny we have an extension to talk about. That's always exciting. There haven't been many of those. Yeah. There haven't been many of those this year. And off the top of my head, there haven't been any other than the Max variety. And so we get our first one with the Miami Heat and Justice Winslow. Incidentally, it came out a few hours after my piece in the, the athletic series previewing teams, kind of seasons, off seasons, all that on Miami came out. So it's like, great. Now I could t- totally, I had a whole Justice Winslow section. Anyway, three years, 39 million. But I think the most interesting part of this is the the third year team option, which is a wrinkle that we aren't often seeing in these extensions. Yeah. And if it is, in fact, a team option, sometimes it gets reported as a team option and ends up being a non-guarantee. The team option probably makes a little bit more sense because then if you wanted to, you could decline it and try to work out a new contract with him. But they could also try to extend him as well and just keep him around. That's another possibility Uh, that does protect the team. He gets a pretty good per season rate, though, 13 million flat for those first two years. He is not produced anywhere near a $13 million per season level to date. I think that an interesting analog for Winslow and one that may have provided a touchstone for these negotiations was Dante Exum. Exum and Winslow, both similarly high value players. Exum, of course, was a free agent this offseason high drafted players but players who'd really been retarded by injuries and the heat still seemed to believe in winslow uh but they didn't want to make a four-year commitment to him he on the other hand wanted some ability maybe to get back on the market if he really blows up and he started to shoot the three a little bit better last year and he has been an excellent defensive player really since day one so he has some potential to improve still Uh, and so i think the the idea was well instead of just three guaranteed years at a lower annual rate of 11 million two guaranteed years at at 13 million and then uh that team option protecting them at the end this seems like a fair deal uh we actually he was one of the guys we did reach an agreement on in our mock rookie extension we ended up with 48 million with unlikely bonuses so 42 million base over four years so uh he did a little bit better on an annual basis but you know shorter number of years uh and uh shorter overall annual value is only gonna have 26 million guaranteed uh so yeah interesting how that changed a little bit but good to see something i mean it seems like we are not really on track to get many more of these because so many teams are trying to use cap space again next summer with the market impacted this past summer in 2018 and also just i think there's a lot of uncertainty as well i mean nobody wants to sign an extension at market rate based on this last summer because there was no money around the league and so and then teams maybe are trying to be more conservative both because uh they didn't have space in 2018 they're using that as a touchdown and then also because the largesse of 2016 has messed up so many teams and they don't they want to avoid making those mistakes so with all that there's a a lot of uncertainty there are a lot of reasons on on these guys to that agents believe they should get paid more that teams believe they shouldn't have to pay as much so uh, i think those are some of the reasons we're not seeing it, as many of these right now and a good example of that is terry rosier where it doesn't look like he and boston are going to come to an agreement and some of that is just because there are, are two different valuations here i mean boston and boston doesn't has so much uncertainty with Kyrie irving even though he has made his intention to resign present there there is a difference between that 
that and also Kyrie Irving's health. So the teams are choosing, you know, the, presumably there are negotiations, but they want to take off some of the risk by, uh, by making it a more reasonable offer. And so the players are optimistic. They know there's a lot of space out there. And so there, you know, there could be maybe one or two more before the season starts, because that's what the window is for these rookie scale extensions. These are guys that were drafted in the first round that are coming off. They, they can't sign extensions during the course of the season. So I'm excited to see where that goes. One other piece of Miami news, which is encouraging, is that Spolstra said on Friday that both Waiters and James Johnson are close. They pass conditioning tests. And so while Miami has this challenge this year, if they stay healthy, of how to manage minutes for all these guys, having more depth is certainly an advantage. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily sound to me reading the tea leaves like James Johnson will quite get there. Uh, you know, he hasn't participated in a full contact process yet. And I mean, this is coming off of offseason surgery. So, you know, if he does play, you have to imagine his minutes would be very limited early on. And then the same thing with waiters who had that ankle issue and then a, a navicular fracture that only was reported in the last month or so. Uh, in Dallas, Dirk Nowitzki still at least two weeks away per uh, Rick Carlisle. And then Harrison Barnes, who missed basically all of camp with a hamstring issue, won't play on Wednesday in the opener against Phoenix, but could play as soon as over the weekend. Again, they'll be easing him back in as well. In Chicago, Jabari Parker demoted from the starting lineup after some pretty miserable Bulls defensive performances in the preseason. They also looks like Wendell Carter Jr. is going to start for them over Robin Lopez which I think is if Carter Jr. is even close to where Lopez is and I think he actually has outplayed Lopez in the preseason he's shown a lot of uh, on defense uh they've got Bobby Portis in the starting lineup it looks like Jabari Parker playing the three just is not something that's uh, going to happen you could see him maybe temporarily replacing again Bobby Portis in the starting lineup but the Bulls have played a little bit better uh since they made those changes in the preseason so and, and Parker actually has played better off the bench while he's been just awful defensively in the preseason he has actually operated more in a facilitator role which and i felt he's been an underrated passer and that's something that hasn't been used enough for him in his milwaukee days even going back to his duke days in high school he was known as an excellent passer so he at least is able to provide that uh denzel valentine starting to get into doing some limited practice stuff looks somewhat unlikely though still for the season over he's missed nearly all of camp with an ankle and then the bulls claimed tyler ulis off waivers from the warriors uh to get one more point guard in uh ryan archidiakono is also there at the moment i like ulis a lot better than arch archidiakono although neither of them really has played at an nba level and then want to talk a little bit about the passing uh, of Tex Winter, uh, well known of course as the architect of the triangle offense. He was brought in by Phil Jackson uh, when he ascended to the head job in 1989 uh, with the Bulls. Winter known for getting Michael Jordan to play a more team-friendly style. It was really with Jackson's hiring and then using that offense that empowered some of the other players. And while Winter's offense is antiquated now because it just doesn't emphasize the three-pointer, remember it was, it was created in the 1950s uh, uh, when he was at Kansas State, I believe is uh, a counter to uh, playing against Wilt Chamberlain, who was at Kansas at the time. Steve Kerr still uses a ton of triangle principles, uh, you know, in a more three-point centric uh, attack. You know, he obviously was in Chicago at that point, but it really was revolutionary for an NBA offense, which at that time largely relied on just, oh, we're going to ISO guys. We're going to play a two-man game and put all the other guys at the other side uh, so that they have to be guarded under the illegal defense rules at that time, or we're going to just run guys off of floppy screens that's a lot of what Chicago's offense was uh with Michael Jordan before Winter got there and so I, I think he just deserves a lot of credit 
uh, as a teacher, never heard anyone say anything bad about him. All of his former players in Chicago, in LA really just spoke so highly of him and uh, certainly a loss of the winter lived a very full life uh, to the NBA community. Yeah, Winter coached for 61 years, which is absolutely incredible because he was, I believe he was one of the youngest head coaches in college basketball when he started. He was actually at Marquette before Kansas State. And then also worth noting that he was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in, I believe it was 2011. So it's another, a, a good piece that it came into his legacy. Many would argue it was too, it was, it was later than it should have been, but it's still happy that he got to experience that during his lifetime as well. Golden State's Alfonso McKinney will be the 14th man for now. Marcus Thompson had a piece over the weekend about how Patrick McCaw has gone totally dark from his teammates. No communication with the Warriors. The qualifying offer has actually expired, although there still is a two-year deal worth about $5 million with a second-year non-guarantee supposedly on the table for McCaw should he want to sign it. Uh, but they mckinney they actually had him on a summer contract just a one-year non-guarantee they actually converted that into a two-way which they had the option to do by exhibit 10 and then were able to give him a two-year minimum contract that is totally non-guaranteed uh for this year mckinney uh, interesting story himself uh having risen up through uh, paying for his own uh g league tryout years ago spent time in toronto played exactly one minute with toronto last year he was uh, uh, and then uh he probably showed the most of some of the deep bench options for the Warriors on the wing in camp Jacob Evans not looking like he's going to be in the rotation at all the, the question is just which of these guys can shoot I actually give McKinney the edge there although he's not known as a shooter and then uh we won't talk about all these two ways but since it's Golden State uh Marcus Derrickson a a kind of pudgy stretch four is going to get the second two-way deal just a, a guy you can make a shot on this team is always going to be useful uh Damian Lee uh, Steph Curry's brother-in-law uh, is the other uh two-way there although Lee has been pretty much unavailable all through camp with i think what is it plantar fasciitis i'm not entirely sure but that sounds right also for those who are interested in more substance on the machinations of the mckinney move i just submitted a piece to the athletic about how bob myers used the exhibit 10 and used those the two-way rules to get the second year for mckinney and then they were able to use that same roster slot in the two-way slot to get marcus derrickson and i i just found the, the mechanisms interesting we're still seeing general managers navigate these new wrinkles with the cba and so I, I I was trying to piece it together myself, so I decided to turn it into a piece, and that's something I, I do fairly often. One other, it, it, so this is an, an all injury things that come out this late in the in training camp always make me a little bit queasy. But so John Collins, who had been exciting to watch during this preseason, especially his interaction with Trey Young, such a gifted passer, he had a minor surgical procedure on his ankle. It doesn't look like he's going to be out too long. The reevaluation is in about a week, but you always worry when a guy kind of starts off a season with a small procedure whether it's going to be anything. Yeah, sometimes these mild procedures are just that, and sometimes uh, they tend to linger. In Milwaukee, Tyler Zeller, Game 7, Joe Prunty stalwart Tyler Zeller has been waived. And so has uh, Shaz Muhammad, and they are going to keep Christian Wood, which is... Uh, Wood was a favorite of ours, always had a ton of potential, can shoot the from downtown seven footer block shots really athletic but certainly had a, a a lot of issues that that you would hear about in terms of the not even necessarily the mental part of the game but just getting his life together just uh, being someone who can just navigate uh, almost being an adult uh, and you know it seems like he's made some strides there he certainly dominated in summer league he's been very effective uh, with Thon Maker out for much of camp would, would could even be in the rotation at backup center for the scene they still got John Henson of course 
as well, but Wood provides a, a little bit more stretch and versatility, perhaps. And so good to see that he is uh, going to make M- Milwaukee's uh, roster. I think he could be better than Tyler Zeller. Uh, in New York, Joakim Noah has been waived and stretched. And Danny, you wrote a piece on why they should not do this. Would you like to reiterate uh, why you felt that way and, and what the implications are here? Sure. So I wrote that piece, but then also supported what the Lakers did. And the difference is important. There are two of them. One is the Lakers needed that roster spot created by waving their former bull far more than the Knicks because we expect the Knicks to be bad this year and the Lakers to be good. And so they actually get more utility out of that spot. And then the other part is that Luol Deng left a lot of money on the table. 7.5 is the number that's in my head. So that lowered his the amount of that is stretched on his wave and stretch to $5 million a year. And Noah does not appear to have agreed to anything of that sort. And there isn't a set-off. And, and the, the reason why the set-off is, is a problem is because that only creates a benefit after the season is done. So you can't create more cap space using it now. So that's a concern. The Knicks basically converted his 19 million for next season for 1920. This has no impact on the 1819 season. They converted that 19 million to a 16.4 million per season obligation. And the other reason why I really didn't support this at this time for the Knicks is because it it locks that in. It is one of the few obligations in the NBA. Do you, you said uh, six, six 6.4 million. Yes. I think. Sorry yeah. if I said that. Yeah, I think you might have said 16. Oh, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I okay. know you meant 6. Yeah, so 6.4 and you cannot move that. There is is not a mechanism within the collective bargaining agreement to take off that obligation. And so theoretically, maybe they could have found a team they would have been willing to trade an asset to get rid of Noah at some point next year. Maybe his expiring money would have been used to facilitate a trade. They're just different options. Even if what ended up being the case was that they waived and stretched him, they could have waited without losing anything other than a roster spot for a year. And they could have cleared a roster spot by cutting Ron Baker, who isn't good. They could have, you know, they could have, and that wouldn't have cost them anything in terms of flexibility, utility. So this, to me, was a very short-sighted move. And while there was a very limited upside to it, that upside was worth retaining. Yeah, and I think it's more just that there's a pretty big potential downside of this move, which is you don't actually get anyone next year. You don't use that full space that you, that you would have needed. And now you've got another $6 million on your books for 2020 and 2021. So that that's it's really avoiding that potential downside and not doing it until you know you need the space uh that seems to be the issue uh russell westbrook in oklahoma city has gone through some controlled practice uh i don't know what that means uh but still unclear whether he will be ready on opening night against the warriors certainly has not played at all in preseason you would imagine you would want him to go through a full contact practice but you could also see okc kind of fudging here certainly westbrook will be pushing to play i would i would think that especially with them kind of unlike to win that game at Golden State that it's better to just hold him off and bring him back you know in a, a week from now or, or whatever it is uh in phoenix devin booker still hoping to return on wednesday against the mavs he's been cleared it for contact practicing five on five uh, with the team so it looks like he can probably get there uh you know he had some quotes about i'm able to shoot but i don't quite feel right yet and then uh, Darrell arthur phoenix applied for a disabled player exception this is interesting because there's been no report of a new injury 
since he was traded uh from the nets remember in the jared dudley deal they actually gave up a second rounder in that deal they saved some money but then that enabled them to just take in rashawn holmes but the way a disabled player exception works is you can't actually get it unless he was on your team when the injury was known or should have been known and so unless we we've heard anything about him having some sort of a new injury it doesn't even say what the injury is in this application and i thought oh well maybe why they traded for him was so they could get some insurance money but bobby marks said no nah, that's usually not how it works it his salary is small enough that they wouldn't necessarily have tried to get insurance on him but uh so it, none of this really makes much sense i, I don't uh, as it's written it wouldn't really unless there's some new injury that happened that we weren't aware of uh or some new diagnosis maybe that says it's career ending but even then by my understanding of the rule he might have said yeah you know what this is career ending we're gonna say that now but the injury happened before he came out of the team and so that would mean they wouldn't be eligible to get the disabled player exception for him and then it doesn't really matter either because they've got their room exception still so uh jamal crawford has apparently been seen working out there he might get get some of that but you know it probably doesn't make a a ton of sense to get that i mean you know it's like 3.5 million maybe it could help them but with the room exception there it seems unlikely that that they would end up using the dpe regardless and the last important story we need to talk about is the drummer of spinal tap situation going on regrettably in san antonio Dejounte murray as we've talked about before on the show, is out for the season with a torn ACL. And the reporting that was coming out, which was intriguing, is that San Antonio Popovich was intending to use Derek White as the replacement for Murray in the starting lineup and keep Patty Mills as a second unit creator, which actually makes a lot of sense with DeRozan on the roster. Unfortunately, Derek White has a tear in his left plantar fascia. He's the extended investigation is he'll be out six to eight weeks. So now they are going to Bryn Forbes and keeping that same structure. So Forbes will play will start games we don't know how they'll finish games but he'll start games play with DeRozan and then Patty Mills will come off the bench all right uh let's uh bring in Jared Weiss now to talk more than a little bit of Boston Celtics all right the season is almost finally here and with it the last of our season outlooks Jared Weiss of The Athletic joining us now to discuss the Boston Celtics good afternoon sir Good afternoon, sir. So uh, where I want to start here, part of the reason why we did the Celtics last is they have two players coming off of injury, and we wanted to see how it was going to all fit together. We're recording this uh, Friday afternoon, uh, so we won't see what happens in their final preseason game, I don't think. Uh, Did they play another one or not? No, they got it done early. Somehow it worked out where they basically got two training camps, and they were able to condense all their games early in the process. So they're in the middle of basically a second training camp. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so... uh, but from what we've seen so far, I mean, they've had a relatively disjointed preseason. Brad Stevens has been upfront about that. But let's start with Gordon Hayward coming back from the more severe uh, of the two injuries. How has he looked so far in preseason? And just what's the general word around the team with his performance so far? I mean, at a certain point, he hopefully will stop getting asked about how does he feel health-wise and does he have his rhythm back? Because the answer is meh and meh, pretty much. Um, you know, he's it's going to take him. I think until probably December for him to look like himself again. And everyone I've talked to besides him has basically said that it's going to be a long process. And when he first started doing media appearances again, he was like, I feel great. I'm ready to roll. You know, I got to be patient, but I'm you know, I'm feeling really good. And then he got out there and just was, he just wasn't in sync with the rest of the team. Um, he, he, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't really have any of, it, of his explosiveness at this point and he's just not in rhythm. So, you know, he, I think he has a lot more self-awareness 
awareness of where he is right now, or maybe it was a bit of a surprise that he just wasn't quite at the level that he thought he would be once he got back out there. But I mean, he's he's healthy. You know, he's got he's got some back soreness that he's been dealing with just from you know the rehab and from some of the procedures he had to have after he was almost at the finish line in the rehab. So you know, he's still kind of recovered from all that kind of stuff. But it, like his game is back and it's you know pretty well rounded at this point. It's just kind of at like a fifty percent output level. So it's going to need several months until that comes back. But he should be by the time he's kind of feeling physically more himself, he should be an even more dynamic player than he was before, just because of all the work that he's done this offseason once he kind of got back to health. Yeah, you always wonder about that with an injury like this, and and perhaps with the incredible return that Paul George had, and not that they had the same injury. This was an ankle rather than a, a fractured uh, shin. But uh, we just maybe just assume that these guys are going to come back. Certainly, there's been a lot of you know players Tribune type of hype uh, around it. The Athletic actually has a, a nice video piece. Sign up for the Athletic at theathletic.com slash catspace and you can check out uh, that video piece uh, on Hayward's return. But the thing that struck me about his preseason performance, uh, first, the stats on that, 5 out of 20 from the field, 1 of 10 on threes. Has gotten the line for 14 times in three games. He's played 60 minutes overall, uh, but obviously very inefficient. And I think the biggest thing that I've noticed is just finishing at the rim has not been there, has not looked to have the same explosiveness. And you remember, I mean, he, he is someone who really had awesome control, awesome deceleration as well, going to the rim with some of those Euro steps where he could get to the rim and then kind of slow down, let the defense fly by, stay under control. We haven't seen that type of finishing from him. And, uh, you know, the shooting stroke hasn't been there. That's one, one out of 10. It's not really enough of a size to say anything about it. But the finishing at the rim has looked a, a little dicey to me. Yeah, one of the, a lot of those shots came on when the play just kind of fell apart and he was taking it contested or was almost reluctant to take the shot because he wanted to keep the play going and it just didn't really work. So I wouldn't look too much into that number. But the move that you brought up, I think, is one of the really important parts. He's one of those guys that has that move where he goes into a Euro step and Kyrie has the same move where he doesn't even really explode off of the final foot. He just kind of fades back and lets the defender kind of use their momentum to take them out of the play and take like a short little fade away from five feet out. And that play puts all of the torque and pressure on that ankle and really stretches it out. So that's one where I think, and that was kind of one of his signature moves, he's not going to feel super comfortable with that for a while. And he maybe can't even really pull it off that well for a while. So stuff like all the stuff that were his go-to moves, like the quick pop out of a hard drive from the top of the key, that's stuff that is just going to take a while to come back. But a big part of his offseason training program was working on little moves to be more shifty and more deceptive at the point of attack. So I haven't seen a ton of that yet in the relatively small amount of tape we have in the preseason. But I think he's trying to compensate for the lack of explosiveness he's going to have for a while by trying to be just a little bit harder to stay in front of and being able to shake people a little bit more easily. Yeah, and you mentioned that for him. Uh, how about Kyrie? Where is he? I mean, he missed a lot of the offseason, had that complication from the initial surgery that he had, that, that wire uh, in that surgically repaired uh, left knee, which he had the fractured kneecap back in the 2015 finals. Uh, he had that taken out. There was some hope he could return for the playoffs. That was eliminated when uh, an infection around a screw in his knee was discovered. And, 
he ended up having to have a more severe surgery i think the initial timeline was something like three to six months but he, he's basically been playing since like you know mid-august or so is that right august yeah. 5th uh, i think is the first day he started playing i wrote a whole feature on his comeback with jamal crawford out in seattle with their their clandestine uh, uh scrimmages <laughs> out there wait J- jamal crawford yeah, the did funny something thing is... clandestine <laughs> uh that because oh, that would be the first time <laughs> I, i'm just i'm just pulling this like but he he is uh media friendly to be sure uh jamal crawford he's, he's been great to me i've been enjoying getting to know him but um you know Kyrie over the course of like three weeks out there went from being completely rusty completely out of sync to it just all kind of really came back for him and i think i wrote that piece on media day and i was going to be a little skeptical of what he would look like and then he came out in that first game and just torched charlotte like right from the beginning there and uh, he, he looks good and he basically after that was like all right i think i'm done i did what i needed to do uh he played a couple he played the first two games of the preseason against charlotte and then just sat out the rest of the preseason like he you could see that his explosiveness is there his touch on all of his step backs from beyond the three-point line are pretty much there uh and you know he still has a few things uh with dribble penetration that he's got to work out but he seems like he's pretty much back to where he was last year yeah i didn't quite see it as optimistically as you did when i watched but i haven't watched you know a lot of these full games i've kind of just looked at like all all of their shots which can be a little bit different of a context um so i i thought he looked a, a little bit slower but i mean th- these sorts of things are very difficult to measure and yeah go ahead well i i don't think he was playing at yes maybe that's I mean, it too I think you he know was playing at right. preseason speed that's the yeah one. but but i think actually i think the optimism would be even more tempered if you watch the entire thing instead of just clips because you'll see that the offense was pretty out of sync and most of his buckets were coming from high pick and roll or attacking in transition or just going iso and all of the central tenets of their offense and you know all the pistol actions that they do all the dho stuff that they do was is really out of sync right now and their offense seems kind of lost or at least in the preseason seemed kind of lost and that's why stevens was just so pissed off after all those games. yeah and john schumann tweeted this out today comparing some of the basic team stats from this preseason with last year's season and the celtics experienced a marked decline in percentage of assisted buckets now some would argue that they're just missing shots that they would normally make and obviously you're uh, especially if you're missing open three-pointers that's going to hurt your percentage of assisted buckets but it seems to be pretty clear that uh, just about everyone agrees they have not been in sync yet but you know part of that too is the fact that they had all these games early on i mean they were playing after what like two week two days of practice uh, right at the beginning uh and and so now you know maybe they'll look a lot better when the season starts on tuesday against the sixers uh, after having had what you know like six days in a row of practice here well i also have that in front of me because whenever john schumann tweets out a graphic you have to leave it on your computer for at least a day (laughs) but when so they all pretty much got there in early september and started scrimmaging right away playing a lot of five on five so it's funny that they only had like two days of training camp they get out there and they're playing preseason and they look it looks kind of like a messy pickup game and like it's like all the guys know each other but they don't have any play sets really figured out so they're all just trying to run a lot of two-man action people are trying to figure out where to go screeners don't really know where to set the screens all the timing of the cuts are off so that's why i think the percentage of assisted buckets declined so notably because so many of the plays that they were running where it was set up for like the wing to catch and then make the pass or the popping big or whatever that play didn't materialize and then they had to reset and go into iso mode so that that number i think of, of all the stuff i'm seeing here in this chart that i think is the most revealing thing of their struggles in the preseason but again it's preseason you know preseason usually is not a good indicator for the elite teams of where they're at and like you said it's something i didn't really even think about 
before is that they barely had any practice time officially before they started. But the other, on the other hand, the thing that I think is positive is that their pace went up by like almost eight, was it almost eight uh, possessions? And their pace was pretty slow last year. They are a team that has always in theory said that they want to be a higher pace team, but the numbers haven't yeah. really shown that. So that'd be really good for them if they can really pick it up. Yeah, I mean, and, and it depends what numbers you look at too on that because any team that has a good defense that's going to artificially slow down their overall pace numbers because the other team is struggling to score against them and has to go late into the shot clock and they've always been a good defense these last couple of years as i know you you know but just uh, to mention for the listeners so um yeah to finish up on Kyrie, i think you know the last time he came back from a, a long injury absence was 2015-16 and really during that regular season people forget because he had such an incandescent playoffs and finals that he really was not the same statistically throughout a lot of that regular season and we may see that again this year we may see that with hayward as well and so you know i, I don't expect this team uh with reintegrating all of those guys you know jason tatum and jalen brown are probably gonna have to get shunted into smaller roles you know i think they're still gonna be very dependent on al horford as well how many minutes do they want to play him early on are they gonna have a, a tension between Kyrie and tatum and and even hayward and brown to some extent wanting to iso and do their own thing versus running the offense when they have the ability to score one-on-one so i could see them getting off to a little bit slower of a start maybe than some are anticipating based on all the talent they have on the roster I agree. I think uh, I think there's probably going to be a narrative in late November of are these Celtics as good as we think they are, and then they'll be in first place by late December, and that's going to look silly. I mean, who knows how it's going to play out? Obviously, especially if Toronto is as good as they look like they can be, but they they have so much to figure out, and a week and a half of training camp isn't really going to fix that. So, um, you know, Hayward's just it's just that they're adding a, a good player who fits their system really well in Hayward, but they're not adding an all star right away. It's going to take them time, probably half of the season to try to get back towards that form and i remember when paul george came back we were i think blown away just that he looked like he, he wasn't standing around and just taking jump shots that he could get into his game and i think gordon should probably be doing that to a certain extent but i don't think he's going to be quite at the same pace that george was in his return so because of that they might go back reverting to a lot of the style they played last year trying to put morris at the four or play big with baines at the five um, and also you know tice is healthy again which helps a lot um but I guess what helps this team get through those those bumps in the road is just that they have great depth and they have pretty good scoring depth, but they have they have great versatility depth defensively. So even if their offense isn't going to be humming, I think their defense probably should be still really good throughout this entire period. Obviously, knowing how well they're going to execute on defense is always a big question every single year. But by design, they should be even better than they were, or at least as good as they were last year. Going back to what you said about Hayward, I think really, to me, he other than perhaps Horford certainly among their four perimeter starters Hayward is clearly the best passer of that group you know Tatum has shown some flashes every once in a while but he's a score at heart Jalen Brown that's perhaps the weakest part of his game Kyrie it's probably the weakest part of his offensive game at least and so you would think that if you put the ball in Hayward's hands more as a facilitator and then try to get those guys catching the ball on the move and then Hayward you know that part of Hayward's game shouldn't be impacted at all and then you don't have to 
have Hayward fly into the rim as much, which is, you know, let him kind of ease into that role a little bit. Uh, we'll see if that's uh, where they go, you know, but you would think that like running the offense through Hayward and Horford, you know, maybe you even have Hayward stationed more at the elbows playing as like kind of the de facto four man in the offense and then let those three uh, perimeter guys operate off of them. That might be the way to go. But do you, are we seeing any of that so far or has it been kind of more, uh, you know, those guys kind of taking turns? I think it's been a lot of turn taking, but you're right in that Hayward is going to be the de facto playmaker at a lot of the time while he's on the floor and i guess the question is going to be how they're going to manage the substitution rotations to figure out how they're going to utilize them because it could be that at the six minute mark they take off Kyrie, they put on rogier or smart and then they have either the point guard or hayward bringing up the ball and then hayward's initiating pick and roll action or whatever it is um and what i like about that is that it gives hayward an ease into the season where his role is less about catching the ball and trying to be a scorer or trying to score from the wing but rather just easing into a pick and roll trying to just get past the top of the key and swing a pass with somebody in the corner or whatever and I think that's probably his main comfort level at this point and he was really trying to force that through in the first couple games of the preseason where you saw him trying to get to the free throw line and then swing a pass to the guy in the far corner and he was having some mixed results I think he's just as a playmaker he's still trying to figure out where guys spots are you know and that's I think that's the one area continuity that he doesn't have that Kyrie and you know, of course, Tice have in their return is that they were at least a part of the system last year where they know uh, where they can find everybody. And that's something that he's going to have to learn. So, you know, he's that his biggest, his most important attribute is that they can always have two playmakers on the floor when he, whenever he's out there, because yeah. uh, Jalen, his only ability to play make is when they give him a handoff around the elbow. And then he has kind of usually like a pretty good lane to drive straight at the hoop. He's able to kick to the guy in the, in the weak side corner. That's something he's been working on for a while but he also commits a charge a lot of the time or he just kind of gets stuck and then panics or he tries to just like bail out to whoever he thinks is behind him that's like one of the main weaknesses of his game that he's he says that he's really worked on this summer and we haven't really had a chance to see if it actually uh, worked or not and of course it's a work in progress throughout the year and then tatum he's trying to learn to do the same thing that gordon's doing of coming around a ball screen hitting the free throw line and being able to pass either of the corners or the wings so that's another big part of his game that he it seems like pretty much everybody that's going to be a wing on this team worked on trying to know how to pass once they're driving into the paint. So, you know, that's their offense is designed so that anybody on the floor at any point can make that play. And if that if they all can do it, then their offense is going to be ridiculous. But I'm a little skeptical that's going to happen, at least in the first half of the year. All right. We got a lot more coming here with Jared right after this. A lot of us uh, are really curious to know what uh, our origins were. And my sister-in-law was one of those people, and actually even before ancestry dna became a sponsor she tried it and learned a bunch of interesting stuff about her family's history she had thought that they were 100 percent chinese they actually uh are part filipino as well uh i'm sorry i, sh- I shouldn't say 100 percent chinese on the her mom's side they're 100 percent chinese and then on her dad's side it was known that they came from ireland but there was a ton of scandinavian dna there which uh, apparently came from the vikings there was even some asian dna which might have been from some central asian invaders thousands of years ago so it's really interesting for her to get these results and you can do the same find your origins in more than 350 regions around the world two times more geographic detail than any other dna tests you could even build a tree on ancestry which is powered by the largest collection of online 
online family history records and magnify your DNA results for more insight into your genealogy and origins. The way to get started with them is Ancestry.com slash Capspace. These are slash Capspace. We talk about it all the time on the program. Ancestry.com slash Capspace will get you 20% off your Ancestry DNA kit. That's Ancestry.com slash Capspace today for 20% off your Ancestry DNA kit. Don't forget that slash Capspace URL. Let them know that you came from us. So I guess the next thing to talk about, and I'm always a little wary of these type of conversations because I really don't know whether, you know, there could be any internal tension or even if the guys like each other, there's still, you know, there's only one ball, et cetera. I mean, now all these guys can shoot reasonably well, so that's a little bit less of a concern than maybe for some of these teams. Uh, but you definitely have guys, Kyrie and Hayward, Kyrie's playing for a new contract, although presumably he'll uh, have a max offer from the Celtics. Uh, Hayward is trying to reestablish himself he uh certainly i think part of the reason that he went to boston was to try to get and he that was before Kyrie was there obviously but to try to get a little bit more of a a profile i think he was hoping he could make the all-star team a little more easily in the east and then you've got uh brown and tatum who were big stars in the playoffs last year and so they'll probably be asked to take a little bit of a step back this year just you know which is not a normal progression uh for rookies because they had both Kyrie and hayward out so uh, i hate compl- uh i shouldn't say complain but you know trying to speculate on this stuff because we never really know number one and number two you don't really find a way to quantify the effect that those sorts of tensions can have but just uh, what is the party line about that uh, kind of stuff uh, at this point i think the one clear source of tension is rogier's role because, yeah yeah we didn't even get to that yeah well okay well what i think it, it makes sense to start there and then work backwards sure. so all those guys are going to get their touches in the starting lineup i really i really don't think it's going to be a problem because uh kyrie's been kind of slowly committing to getting a little bit more away from iso ball and from trying to be a showman and stuff like that yeah um, and I yeah. think although I, year, I will say on that you know i think he did a great job of that last year but in the last five minutes of games and, and i think that's where this could really manifest itself too. in the last five minutes of games it was all Kyrie all the time when he was healthy it's that's really true and that it's been that way though just under Stevens um it was pretty much that way when Isaiah was here um and I guess Isaiah's credit he had a pretty historic season there before he got hurt so he was pulling it off and you know Kyrie's a pretty comparable player to that guy uh, to what Isaiah was that year so I mean it makes sense in a lot of ways but they they struggled with playmaking in the last five minutes of games in the in the playoffs sometimes I mean sure. the nights the nights when Jalen and or Jason or, T- or Terry were on they were able to execute but those guys also hit a lot of ridiculous shots in iso situations which the team is never really looking to go to um they ran i mean they ran some great plays you uh, utilizing horford either as a scorer in the post or as a pop shooter or as the playmaker and those plays seem to always work out um but they definitely needed a closer and i think Kyrie, you know Kyrie last year had so much to prove and he's finally opening up because he's finally comfortable and confident enough to do it with his place here in boston he's finally opening up opening up about the fact that he felt like he had a lot, a lot to prove. He felt like he was still kind of running away from the Cleveland situation. And he seems to have pretty much put all, like taken that whole burden off of him at this point. He seems extremely comfortable. If they start losing, we'll see what happens. But I feel like he's going to not have to force it nearly as much this year because one, his teammates are way, uh, are just way better than they were at the beginning of last year and probably are going to be better than they were at the end of last year. So he's just going to have way more trust in his teammates to be able to pull off what he's asking from them but he doesn't i don't think he really 
has to prove himself as a solo superstar, at least right now. You know, maybe by the end of the season, there's going to be a narrative of, you know, can Kyrie carry a team? But I don't really think that's really a relevant narrative at this point. And also the, the way that the team is built, he doesn't have to. So yeah. he seems he seems like he's really bought into that. He's been preaching it from day one, but it seems even more so now. And like he's got to recognize the shot making capability of Tatum and Brown is pretty tremendous from both of them. Tatum's obviously better than Brown at this point, but Brown has his own strengths. But um, they can if they run the offense the way it's designed, it's just so easy for any of those guys to get shots or to be able to get open lanes of the hoop. But they're all out there and they're going to be getting, for the most part, the final lineup placement, depending on matchup. While Rogier is going to be watching from the bench a lot of time at the end of games. And I don't I mean, I know that he cares about being a starter from the perspective of he wants to be one of the foundational pieces of the team. But I think it's more about he wants to finish games because he's he's a good like he's a he's a really good crunch time player. I don't know. I haven't looked at his crunch time numbers in a little while. I don't know if he's like if his true shooting percentage is great in the crunch uh, crunch time necessarily, but he lives for that moment and he steps up in that moment. And he takes those shots. And to his credit, even when he was having really bad shooting nights during the playoffs last year, he was still willing to go take that shot. And uh, I think it was at the game's. I forget which game it was. It was one of the games against Cleveland where he was having a terrible shooting night, but he still hit like a really big three in crunch time. And he, I think, is more ruthless of a competitor in those moments than just about anybody on the team. And he's so he's recognizing that he deserves to be finishing off games and i don't know if he can in the future for this team so i'm sure it's going to come out within the next couple days in a more substantiated report as the extension talks inevitably fall apart which is that as much as he wants to get 20 million i think even more so he wants to be somewhere where he knows he's going to be getting the ball in crunch time and can do what makes him so great because you know he's he's someone that i think cares about that a little bit more he's got you know ego's not a fair he's got a ton of confidence and i I think it's very much justified and he he's not a he's not the kind of guy that wants to like be selfish about the ball and want to take away from the team's success but that he just really believes that he's the best option out there in crunch time and not being able to finish games i think is going to bother him so much to the yeah. point that he's got to feel that unless they're making a, a, the anthony davis trade which is going to come back and play next summer um and for people listening they can't trade for him while Kyrie is here during the season because of the rose rule stipulations so yeah, people yeah. Like real, to, real, real quickly, real quickly. Uh, well, number one, the Pelicans aren't going to trade him during the season. Uh, you know, sure. they, they're, they're going to wait until yeah, they're they're going to wait until he they can formally offer him that extension, and then if he or, or I'm sorry, yeah, the designated player veteran uh, extension, which uh, would be after July 1st, and if he turns that down, then you know they probably would maybe look into trading. So it's probably a moot point. But the reason for that is is that you can't have uh, two designated players that you. You traded for at the same time and both of those guys signed five-year uh, rookie contract extensions making them designated players so you can't trade for two designated players uh that's that's why you can't do that but uh just just had to get that cap nerdery in there for for the listeners but i, I on rosier i agree with you and i i do think that the organization should be trying a little more aggressively to trade him certainly uh you there's a concern that maybe Kyrie would leave that seems to have been alleviated now with his public statements in front of the entire 
crowd. Not completely. Not no? completely, though. Uh, uh, at, what at is it? At the Celtics Gala, uh, I don't know when we're releasing this, I'll say Thursday night, I think, uh, last yeah. week, Wick Grosbeck said something along the lines, the owner said something along the lines of, we're we're excited about Kyrie's planned commitment or something like that, or, or Kyrie's expectation to stay. But it was some sort of phrasing that was not set in stone. Yeah. And well, you could, I mean... Like, actually having an agreement in place would be illegal so he couldn't say that anything beyond but, that anyway but yeah but i mean he, i agree things could could change a little bit sure yeah and i think with Kyrie, with Kyrie, you gotta always keep open the idea that something's gonna change not to mention if he suffers a right. serious injury to that knee and the team doesn't want to offer him a five-year full max that's when things get a little bit dicey especially right, if kevin yeah. durant's going to new york and says hey come join me over there then it gets a little bit trickier yeah i think that's where it's more likely to break down at this point is if the Celtics don't feel comfortable offering him that full boat five-year max contract 190 million uh due to some injury or performance concerns um so yeah I mean I think the organization though getting back to Rozier yeah you might be worried he was going to leave well now you're less worried about that number one um and then number two I think Rozier's value is probably only going to go down during the season like he's I don't think he's ever going to look as good again I've said this before as he did during the playoffs last year I mean if you look at his regular season sets like they're okay but you know I don't, you're not like oh man this guy's an unbelievable starting point guard in this league based on what he did in the regular season so I think getting that excited about the playoffs especially against some teams that weren't like you know unbelievable teams that he was playing against um you know i i think that'd be a, a little bit of a mistake so if i could trade him for something good i would but i know the party line from the organization is well hey we're trying to win this year he helps us and he does but they also have marcus smart who can play some backup point guard and you've got a ton of other playmakers on this team so i think if they could trade him for something they should because he really you know the chances of doing that become a lot more difficult at the trade deadline certainly uh you know maybe a team that would want to use his restricted rights could uh but trading him to a team that could actually engage him in extension talks now is probably the most lucrative time to have moved him yeah because i mean i guess if you are a team trading for him at the extension you're basically saying we might have to give him the max to keep him or to guarantee to keep him um i mean because i don't think i don't think anyone else is gonna bid up that high but i mean they're and they have matching rights right so you know they yeah can, they can definitely keep them um you know and phoenix is, well, seems to be the most obvious oh, go ahead yeah well the other thing too for the celtics is if they re-sign Kyrie, you basically it doesn't fit into your salary structure to pay rosier you know even high teens not to mention like the 20 million that he probably wants but you, you're saying about phoenix well the, uh well i was just gonna say you know phoenix is the team that obviously has probably enough to possibly throw out the celtics and make it happen i know people have floated the idea of josh jackson and tj warren i i don't know why the why the pelican or why the suns would want to trade josh jackson for rogier at this point unless they really i mean like why would the celtics take josh jackson if they don't really believe in him if phoenix really believes in him terry is a really good point guard but if you're you're going to be paying him at his commensurate value i think you're you have a better chance of just trying to draft a point guard next year or find another way to get a point guard for better value um but so i don't think they should go all out to trade for rogier necessarily especially when they can just try to get him a free agency with a ridiculous offer but yeah um, I, i'm i'm in agreement there i think that you know rosier is the type of guy who's great when he's on his rookie contract like i mean he's a better player than shooter especially defensively but kind of the same situation he's gonna he's not gonna come as cheaply as shooter did either uh but the 
same situation we're like oh this guy could be like a quality starter but then as soon as you pay a market value you're kind of like all right where are we really going with this guy as our starting point guard unless you have a lot more on the team uh you know and he's not really a huge playmaker in terms of getting guys involved uh, either so yeah you, you just kind of wonder uh, like you know if he's gonna settle in as the 20th best point guard in the league do you really want to pay a guy like that 20 million dollars a year yeah and I, I actually i'm pretty optimistic on him especially in phoenix i think he's a good fit next to booker jackson yeah. and Aiden because he's not he hasn't been a very good playmaker as far as um being able to like get deep into the paint and then make all sorts of nifty passes but last year he finally kind of cracked through the threshold of being able to run pick and roll and yeah. Aiden is such a Aiden is just such a great role target that it makes it so much easier he actually he doesn't have anybody in boston except for now rob williams that has even the kind of reach that Aiden has to make it easy to throw over the top to him so i think that would actually make rogier look like a better playmaker and rogier he i mean we haven't seen him in a leadership role where he's like the man amongst boys necessarily but he was in a pretty clear leadership role last year and was great from the standpoint of you know consistent being consistently positive picking up the level of play and energy i mean i think he does everything you want from one of your franchise cornerstone players the real question is just when you scale up his usage level uh and you put him on a team that doesn't have quite as good of an offensive cohesiveness as the celtics can when they're fully healthy how does he look and you know he offensively last year he was kind of like a not like a like a, a junior college man's damian lillard you know he's a yeah. high frequency deep shooter who can come around a screen and pull up from anywhere and i mean i think the main area growth for him this year is is he statistically going to be a more consistent three-point shooter can he shoot over 40 percent while still having high usage can he can he become a better finisher in the paint you know he's really explosive but he's what six two i think so he doesn't finish in the paint at a great level so there's still a lot more yeah. room for him actually at one point well. last year at one point last year i think he was among the worst high volume player i don't know how high volume he is but he was among the worst players in the league finishing at the rim despite that athleticism so uh yeah. and you know he does have really long arms he's got but his touch really he seems to kind of blow a lot of bunnies but anyway all right, that's probably enough uh on him but you know do you i mean i could do but, a, i could do two hours on rogier if you, if you want to, but we can table that for now dude you you could do two hours on uh you know on yabu uh, Dar- Darren, would be my favorite yeah pick. yeah yabu uh darren day's 1985 season uh <laughs> i'm sure any celtic subject you could do two hours on um i don't want to lose all of your subscribers right away so we'll, yeah we'll, we'll move on then well let, let's talk about uh tatum and braun you know tatum i, I think you know i guess the the question is is what you're expecting from these guys this year because they had wonderful playoffs although you know again i think this whole team is just you know everyone who did play last year is just a little bit overrated by that run which they did a lot of it with defense and a lot of it with really some perhaps unsustainable clutch play you know some great coaching certainly but you know they also had games where they just made like five ridiculous shots in a row at at the end of games and and ended up pulling them out so you know I, i think we might be a little bit higher on some of these guys and, and not i mean this is gonna be a fabulous team i, I don't mean to say that like you know i'm not high on all of these guys but i, I do think no, you're perhaps right. you're the, right. yeah everything's inflated so realistically like what should we expect from brown and tatum this season i think that you have to just look at it as incremental progress like 
Tate, I don't think Tatum's going to average 24 a game this year. Yeah. People just, are talking about him being an all-star this year. I, I don't really see that necessarily. I do. I, I think he's like him and Jalen. I, I, I assume Kyrie and Horford are most likely going to be there. And then I think him and Jalen have a chance to just crack in there at the, at the end, just because the East has, the yeah. East seems relatively thin at this point, especially with LeBron leaving. So, um, you know, I, I think that they're both at this point, like last year in the playoffs, they played like borderline all-star players or maybe even all-star players. I expect them to continue to play that way. It's just, you know, obviously it's just about, you know, stats get, you know, uh, divvied up based on how many guys are out there. The usage isn't going to be as high, but both of them, like they had, they, they probably both had like one flaw in their scoring or just offensive capability last year. And both of them, I think, made a lot of strides in their offseason programs to improve on that. But, you know, with Jalen, he, he still just kind of gets lost in the woods sometimes and he's driving into the teeth of the defense. Uh, and, but he just, he made so much progress on being able to handle the ball consistently, not like losing the ball in transition, which he was doing a lot his rookie year, being able to drive through traffic, take contact and be able to draw a foul and finish. Although his free throw shooting was so bad last year that he was a little reluctant at times. And that's something he says he's, he's made progress on. We obviously will have no idea until we see him in game situations more, but um, you know, for him, Jalen is, he's such a good finisher around the rim. He's able to kind of turn his body to take contact, still throw up floaters and hit them. They all look like fluke plays, but then he does it so often that I think at this point, you just got to consider it a, one of his great skills, but he's just, he's got to be the kind of guy that just draws a ton of fouls. So that's really, I think the difference in both his actual points per game, whether he's going to be a 14 or an 18 to 20 point score. And then whether he's an all-star this year is, you know, we already know he's a really good spot up shooter. He's getting a lot better and being a, a shooter coming over a screen on a DHO. And then obviously it's whether he can be a shooter just straight up off the bounce. But if he can really get consistent getting to the line and finishing, I think that's where he takes a leap from being a really good prospect to an all-star at this point. And he did shoot it better, as I recall, down the second half of last season where he was over uh, 70%. He kind of adopted a little bit of a new routine. We'll see if that sticks. But overall, 64% free throw shooting, which is kind of where he's been uh, throughout his career, even going back to Cal and the lower levels. I think, to me, the biggest low-hanging fruit for both Tatum and Brown is improving their two-point shooting. Tatum, 49% on twos. Brown, 51% on twos. Brown does get to the line a lot, but he does seem to blow, like, and he could usually get, like, a pretty good look at the rim, but his touch can just kind of be off sometimes. I mean, and uh, his shooting at the rim last year is 63% uh, overall, uh, which is, or sorry, 62% uh, per basketball reference, which is solid, but not, you know, amazing for someone of his athleticism. I think he got better as the season went on. I think when I checked it, you know, about halfway through, it was like 57%, which is not great at all. But he, he blows more of those than you would expect him to still. Um, and, and as you mentioned, he's getting better at it. But so that's one. And then Tatum, the big question to me is how many long two-pointers is he going to be taking? I mean, they're really, with the, the type of fire, firepower that they have on this team, I mean, maybe every once in a while, if he's with the bench unit, it's okay to take those. But and I think he did a good job during the regular season when Kyrie was healthy, eschewing those last year. But you know, his usage in the regular season was under twenty percent. And you know, is he going to be content with that? Is he going to be aggressive trying to take uh, more long twos, which you know I think is just not an efficient shot. It maybe was in the playoffs when they didn't have a lot of, of firepower, and maybe you know at times at the end of games. But over the course of the regular season, you're hoping that it's going to be easier looks for both of those those guys um 
where do you think who do you think will have the high uh, put brown tatum and hayward in order in terms of who will have the highest usage percentage oh that's interesting i would say i, I feel like hayward just because this playmaking is probably going to be number one yeah if you're them. talking about the the type of usage that includes assists yeah I yeah mean, you have to right so yeah yeah i mean i, I guess yeah the, the basketball reference one of just in, in terms of like number of shots um yeah i mean it's a, it's a little different to compare those some of those but yeah it's I mean, I, I use Ben's numbers anyway so yeah yeah whatever, okay uh, yeah although I think b-ball reference updated their usage for this year right didn't they announce something like uh, that you know what I was in I was in Japan <laughs> that's right. let's, you know let's, let's not go too inside basketball on the pod but whatever whatever they do in Japan will use that for usage rate so I would go I would go with Hayward and then so Jalen was higher last year I think by about 1.2 percent I want to say something like that yeah so so he was higher last year but tatum his usage rate i feel like was lower earlier in the year because his role early like for the first two and a half months of the year was just a spot-up shooter from the weak side elbow that was like 85 percent of his offensive role so tatum in the playoffs his usage rate was really high i mean both of them was really high and i think tatum just has a little bit more playmaking capability but on the other hand jalen is as good as it gets for getting out leaking into transition and you know being involved with transition play so i think those two are going to be really even but just because hayward's going to play with the ball in his hands so much and they're going to be playing off ball i probably have it as like hayward one i'll say tatum two just because he's coming to his second year so it's probably going to is to trade's going to tick up and then jalen three but i think brown and tatum will be almost identical yeah that's going to be a really interesting dynamic to watch for sure and i'm sure that hayward Kyrie, those guys are going to be babied to an extent that they'll probably not play a lot of back-to-backs i don't see those guys averaging much more than 30 minutes a game either so i i think that those guys will have some more opportunities opportunities in the regular season uh what about at the end of games i mean do you, yeah go ahead sorry well so actually uh stevens said that he's gonna have them playing the second night of back-to-backs we'll see how that holds up i don't think that i think he's probably saying it as just like you know we don't have to by rule hold them out like they can right they're, they're physically cleared for that but they should strategically rest them a lot of the time or yeah i'm not suggesting that, like, every back-to-back they would miss but yeah, certainly like, some yeah like those guys should play they should play 70 games next year like that's how they should yeah. do it and one of their goals they have it seems like a, a like a kind of a enterprise objective of having everybody at 30 minutes per game or even a little bit less like terry kai and maybe Jalen are probably the guys that i could see cracking that a little and i think tatum played 30 like on the dot last year but and you know it's smart can handle as well but like they want to keep everybody below 30 this year uh which they can do really easily because they can go 10 deep easily with their rotation yeah so uh, who do you think plays more smarter Rozier? That's a really hard question. So their best, like their best defensive lineup is when they bring in smart with yeah. their starters. Um, and I think actually, I think like pretty much their best defensive lineup was, it was like smart Jalen Tatum, Morris and Horford, something along those lines. Yeah. So, you know, it depends on matchup. I would say that probably smart still gets the more minutes, but like the difference between those it's, I, I, I feel like a broken record, but it's like most of the answers to these questions 
are it's you know everything's matchup dependent and they're going to all pretty much get the same amount of opportunity just because of the way the team is constructed but like i think smart at the end of the day he's the heartbeat of the team and there's a reason why they they kept him and they kept him a little bit above market value they gave him the contract he wanted because they care that much about what he means to the way that this team plays and how much of the heartbeat he is of the team and they did that knowing that this means that if they're keeping rogier they're basically committing to the biggest tax bill of all time so um that that i think is a pretty clear sign that they want to they want to play smart as much as they can but also it could be that they they want to get terry out there so they can up his value as much as possible and audition him for trade so who knows but i think smart 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 getting 30 minutes a game or at least he's been playing like 27 28 a game i think that's definitely locked in stone well and i think too if they wanted to get enough salary to make a trade at some point in the future having that 12 million to work with for the next couple of years is is useful whereas rozier he's gonna be a free agent uh next offseason al horford's gonna be a free agent next offseason gordon hayward doesn't look great to trade him they probably would love to keep him so maybe smart is the guy that they would uh, have to think about moving uh and you know obviously having him on the team this year is good yeah i think like smart obviously has more versatility he's played some backup one in the past he's played ahead of rozier uh, it doesn't seem like given rozier's increased stature now the, you see it seems like rozier would probably get all of the backup one minutes unless Kyrie were just sitting out uh, maybe you could see playing those guys together a little bit and they share ball handling duties on the second unit to some degree yeah like ter- terry is the he is the secondary uh you know, offensive choreographer for the team at this point even though smart's actually been like a, statistically a really good pick and roll playmaker over his career but marcus i think he gets more opportunity because he can play literally every single position so they can just fit him into they can literally just put him into any lineup they want they can even put him at the five when they really have to uh while terry they have to put him in as the one or the two most of the time uh but they also they love putting kind Kyrie, Smart, and Rozier out there at the same time. And they're going to probably do that a lot, where they're going to try to just blitz teams by running like crazy on them and putting all those guys out there. You know, and Terry, Terry doesn't get enough credit for how good of a defender he is. Uh, his, his rep took a hit just because of the way the Cavs tried to isolate him with LeBron. But like, he's a point guard, so he's not really supposed to be good at guarding LeBron in the post up. Yeah. I thought he did a, I, th- I wrote a lot about it on the Athletic last year. I thought he did a pretty admirable job for the situation. And I Celtics agree. did a great job trying to figure out how to game plan around it. But like, when he's guarding, ones and twos he he gets in their shirt really well he tr- he's able to track guys off ball he's really good at locking and tracking and he just plays with great energy the entire time so he's he's a really good defender on the perimeter it's just that smart can he can, he's the kind of guy that can take the switch on lebron or any big and being able to handle a post up he's the one that can do pretty much anything and while terry's pretty good at running the defense smart is one of the best defensive choreographers in the game he's when him and horford are out there they're deep defense is just unbelievable yeah i think smart to me is the best defensive guard in basketball uh you know maybe not someone who would make the all defensive team because the the number of games that he plays sometimes he'll miss a lot of games but if you're like hey i want to have one guy out here for a defensive possession when you consider how good he is as a help defender how tough he is his switchability i mean i think it's between either him and clay thompson i think marcus is probably more disruptive and a better help defender than thompson if even if thompson might be a little better on switches so he would probably 
be my guy there um yeah if he ever stops punching he he might make an all defensive team two years (laughs) in a row he's been doing that one i appreciate you giving clay the love i always thought i was uh, alone on an island was thinking clay is one of the best defenders in the league so i'm glad somebody else feels that way yeah well i mean it it, it depends what you're looking for too if you're looking for hey go shut this one guy down and we're not going to switch that's different than you know we're going to be part of a switching system um and you can also hold your own on uh a guy one-on-one so uh any regression candidates i mean i think we've talked about most of the guys who are going to improve but anyone you're concerned about here potentially regressing uh from last year yeah so there's i think morris is probably the most obvious candidate just because he's he's not really happy with his role he wants to be a starter and or finisher and he was able to satiate that appetite a lot because of the injuries last year but even after the season last year i think he told he told adam himmel's back from the globe like right after the season ended i don't even know what next year is going to hold in store for me with this team um and you know he's he's all good now but i think he's definitely looking to probably get traded into a situation where he can where he can be a focal point or at least finish the season a key role player so he can you know try to make a finals run and get a big paycheck but just because of the role it's like he's not going to be able to develop a rhythm like he wants to uh and it just you know and he's kind of at his he's at the age he's like in the middle of his prime where guys kind of plateau and the perception of how good they are i think starts to fall off a little bit um and then aaron baines i think had probably as good of a season as he could have last year he was one of the one of the best defensive bigs in the league was vital to the team statistically and just you can see it on the floor i mean he had a, a he had a great defensive season and then was like pretty solid as a pick and roll guy that's really all he can really do except for now he like kind of out of nowhere became a pick and pop machine and he's shooting threes and he's gonna he's gonna yeah. shoot a lot more threes this season than he did at late in last season when he kind of came out of nowhere and started hitting those so you know maybe that'll help him but he is 31 now so you know he's at the age where he might start to pick up a couple minor injuries that kind of drag him down so he's a potential regression candidate and then um well yeah let me comment on those first two guys really, yeah, real quickly so morris 23 percent usage during the regular season last year uh that really just needs to come down there's no reason with the firepower they have in this team again for marcus morris to be going to the the iso long twos in the preseason he's definitely been getting shots up uh, as well and so you know he's he's never really been a guy who's like that great of a spot-up shooter you know a, a guy whose efficiency really improves a ton when his usage gets lower because he's not just like a knockdown spot-up guy but i think he has to go more in that direction obviously and then for baines uh really offensively was not very good in the regular season last year and then he just caught absolute fire i think kp did a piece on like how utterly unlikely it was just basically sort of like the best postseason three-point shooting performance by someone who had like made x or fewer number of shots in the regular season so we'll see whether that three-point range translates it into this year but i thought baines was unbelievable defensively last year i mean you remember he was even like switching on to Giannis pretty well in that buck series and so they got a ton out of him you know compared to where they were where he was like in san antonio and even in detroit but yeah going into his age 32 season you wonder if, if that can continue yeah it just he was so good defensively it's like almost impossible to replicate that but also there's just not a ton of pressure on him i mean he played he only played 18 minutes a game last year that's what's so surprising about it because he starts the game or started the game last year it feels like he's out there so much more but he w- really wasn't out there as much as you think um and then you know tice was really good when he was in there he's coming back from injury he still needs to get his uh shot back together but so who knows i, I really don't have any expectation or i don't have 
have like a baseline for what to expect. But what I do know is that he's been working on being a pick and pop guy from beyond the three point elbow. Cause last year he was mostly shooting from 18 to 20. Now he's shooting from deep. So that's, you know, right there. That just makes him way more effective if he can hit that. And then, uh, Shemi Ojale is he, he, he made so much progress as a defender where he went from just like because of his physical attributes and his good awareness was able to be an effective defender to like at the beginning of the season being able like to be effective just guarding different matchups and stuff like that he got a lot better at being able to read the floor and covering up the weak side and doing a lot of the stuff that he has to do as a backup center although with the way that the roster is constructed i don't know if he's going to play center as much this year but i, I he he could just kind of plateau there or he keeps growing um i wrote a piece back in july about all the work that he's been doing to become a better shooter and to become uh being able to attack closeouts and try to get to the rim better or even pass out of it and the summer summer league was just pretty inconsistent and then he didn't really show much in the preseason he didn't look comfortable in the preseason so i haven't seen any i haven't seen anything on tape yet to show him getting better since last season so there may not be anyone that like clearly regresses beyond like the the late veterans but some of these guys that look surprisingly good last year might just plateau out where they are now you know it's funny you didn't mention the the first guy who came to mind for me and that's al horford uh age 32 season this year had maybe the i would say the best season of his career last year pretty close to it and then was unbelievable especially in the first two and a half rounds of the playoffs once they put tristan thompson on him as i recall uh he didn't do quite as much in that Cavs series but you know i mean i think you have to look at him just because he was so good last year and you know at some point he's got to at least defensively take a little bit of a step back as he gets older it's funny i feel like we we've talked about this and i feel like i've heard you talk about this a lot about how does al horford age as a defender i feel like him and marcus soul like there's been that a unique conversation about them where like how much does their lateral quickness or explosiveness kind of judge who they are as a defender and horford is still good at picking up guards and being able to slide with them i think that's probably that and then his ability to like leverage for power in the post against guys like joel and bead those are probably the two areas where it makes a huge difference he thinks the game so quickly that i don't think his reaction speed on help defense is gonna take a dip until he gets maybe two more years from now when he like hits his mid-30s so that's yeah. gonna be fine but yeah the big question for me defensively is just when if he can are is he gonna get to the point where guards will take him out onto an island and they're gonna try to get around him because that's been like one of his unique skills that's made him such a great defender his whole career is his ability to uh, stay away from that and then i think for him it's just mostly just is his, is he going to continue to stay healthy i mean he said he's had concussions early in the season in the last two years but otherwise orthopedically has been relatively healthy so it's you know once you, he's 31 and a half at this point so at his age it's like once you once you hit a certain threshold in your early 30s you just start spraining your ankle more often and you're not recovering and you got to sit out more games i mean he played 72 games last year despite having a concussion which is pretty impressive so he basically he didn't really miss any games towards other injuries i feel like this might be the year where he starts to just sitting out a lot of games to avoid that because and we know how he carries his season his season is he's playing kind of in like third gear most of the time and then he shifts up to fifth gear or whatever you wanted to go with the reference shifts down to first gear whatever it is in the playoffs and he starts to be playing really explosively so i feel like the maintenance part is maybe going to make his numbers look even lower this year so i could definitely see it as a regression there but for me i always judge horford on what he does in the playoffs and he's been incredible in the playoffs the last couple of years yeah which was something that people complained about a, a lot uh, previously so crunch time lineup do you think it's going to be the starters irving tatum brown hayward horford most nights if everyone 
everyone's healthy. Yep, that should be it most nights. And then when they if when they need to match up defensively, uh, Smart might be out there. I could see them against maybe Philly going with Smart out there uh, sometimes and probably taking out. I would say probably you know actually I don't know. I was gonna say Hayward just because I feel like just because at this point physically just not at the same level. But yeah. I guess they could really go on a night by night basis and just see who's working that night and decide to bench them for Smart. And then I guess offensively when they really needed they can go to Rozier but like teams like Philly I feel like it makes sense to have Smart's defensive intensity out there and depending on who Philly is finishing with and you know he just might match up better um but I mean they, it's going to be basically a seven man rotation for that finishing lineup between Rozier and Smart because I don't think Morris is going to finish over Hayward or Tatum very often but maybe once in a while when they need his power out there yeah it's really I mean Smart it's so hard to get him out there because of the the lack of shooting when you have five good offensive players that you could be playing you know and maybe you could see him coming in as a defensive replacement for Kyrie Irving on certain possessions um uh, late and and but it just seems like all these guys have like so much profile Hayward Braun Tatum at this point that it's really tough to put smart in for them instead um but you know we'll see I mean Stevens uh, has done stuff like that before so I'm with you it wouldn't shock me um I, I don't think that's the best lineup though unless Hayward is really just not playing very well just not shooting well and, and isn't the same defensively well the thing is i mean these like these guys maybe from a their recognition profile wise i can see what you're saying but they've been really careful about building this team with guys that have a mentality that they don't treat themselves like they don't have expectations of i have to finish a game because i'm a star kind of thing where it comes you know for guys like Jalen and jason uh and hayward you know i think Kyrie probably has a mentality and we know terry has a mentality but the rest of these guys i think are pretty content with you know believing in what coach is saying it's easy to say after one game it's a little bit harder to say that after 30 games or so when you're not finishing games so obviously you know time time wears that down but i think the one thing that makes smart effective in a closing lineup is that he they force way more turnovers when he's out there yeah and they rebound way better so they play in transition a lot more late yeah. in games and, and, and he makes there. the hustle plays you know other than maybe yeah. horford you don't necessarily have a hustle play guy out there maybe brown to some degree but but smart brings brown that and to a completely different the other, level yeah yeah brown yeah. and Rozier are the other two guys i would give that to um all right big strengths uh for this team here uh strength actually would surprisingly be one of them they have uh, <laughs> they have, <laughs> I think that, you know, we make all these jokes in Boston about combat muscle and stuff like that. But, you know, the reality is they have a lot of guys in the deep part of the rotation that have a lot of power. And then I think Jalen is going to be a lot more powerful attacking the hoop. Tatum is trying, he he put on some muscle this offseason. And his biggest goal was to be able to throw his body into guys when he's driving a lane so he can stop relying on finishing with like the, you know, Dr. J scoop shots and stuff like that. He needs more strength on defense too, actually. You know, I think like, especially especially in the playoffs at times like he actually was able to be beaten one-on-one by guys who are stronger than him he can get pushed out of the way and you know veteran ball handlers know how to push him in the hip a little bit with their offhand so that they can like cross him over for a step back and get the shot off um but you know his his defense is good he's not a, i think for a rookie his defense was pretty good so i don't think that's like to a be sure ability for him um but you know but uh at times he was able to get beat up on the block i think we've talked about Jalen brown that being 
a weakness for him for a long time. This team is going to go to the mid post a lot. So I think that's where the strength comes into play is they're going to they're going to go against a lot of teams that are trying to switch on them. They're going to pick out the guards and they're going to try to take them down to the mid post like teams were doing to them last year. And that's I think that's where they're going to get a lot of their easy buckets. So they have you know they have the opportunity opportunity to get easy buckets from pick and roll up the top with Kyrie or Rogier or just go getting any other wings into a mismatch in the mid post. So I think that's what's going to make them take that leap offensively this year. It's just because last year and really in years past, they've relied so much on just the system being really good, but the system falls apart all the time. And then especially when the second unit comes in, their offense is garbage. But now they have enough depth and enough versatility offensively that they can just go to simple post-ups and simple pick and rolls to be able to get buckets this year. So that's just going to make their offense way more consistent across the board. Yeah, and I think one of the big improvements that they all have over last year with Hayward available now, Braun, Tatum, Kyrie being back, Rozier's improvement offensively, is I think the bench offense will look a lot better. I mean, when Isaiah was off the floor, then it was when Kyrie was off the floor a lot of times last year, and and they had uh, Smart and and a couple other backups in there. They really just struggled to score a ton. And I think uh, the hope would be that those issues uh, could be in the in the rear view mirror uh the defense obviously was unbelievable uh, last year this uh stat was pulled by our director of basketball research liam doyle he has a new title oh, uh, yeah. i i asked him what title he wanted because i was like we can't call you the intern anymore you've been here for over a year uh so i was like what title do you want and uh he picked director of basketball research which i love actually I think that, that's uh that's a great title uh i say sets... i would have given it i would have given him senior intern but i appreciate your generosity or, well and uh director of insight and foresight sadly uh he, he i wish i wish he would have picked that actually we maybe we should start calling him that I, I might have to overrule now that i remember that but uh director of basketball research it is for now uh so he noted that the big reason the celtics were so good defensively was teams shot very poorly against them and the reason for that though wasn't that they forced a particularly bad mix of shots you know a ton of mid-rangers or anything like that it's that they forced teams to shoot poorly from the on relative to what you would normally shoot from certain distances um and his question was well can that be sustained you know i mean especially the way that teams shot from three against the celtics 34 percent, which was best in the nba uh the teams only shot 37 percent from mid-range against the Celtics. again those are jump shots you would think that those are a little that could be a little bit lucky although we've seen some teams like golden state until they stopped trying last year uh force teams to shoot a pretty bad percentage on jumpers over the years so i think it is possible uh teams also only shot 37 percent on floaters against the celtics as well and then uh defending the rim they were about average uh so uh, is there something a little fluky about that defense Uh, that's uh, a very interesting question i think uh that liam raises so here's here's how i follow on the theory of how do we value opponent three-point shooting percentage so uh we now have enough i think there's just starting to become enough public data available to analyze the quality of those shots so i think we can start to kind of chip away at the mystique of it yeah um 
the what I found is the teams that tend to be towards the top there tend to be the better defenses, and I think that's because they they keep one they force those shots to go to to the people that they want shooting it. So the Celtics are really good at when they give up open three pointers. It's usually to guys that they were that they're deliberately leaving uncovered or are sagging off of, wanting them to be the one to take the shot. So I think that's a big factor to it. Second is that I I, I felt and I don't know I don't know exactly how they define um from like a from like an XY coordinate perspective and the tracking data how they define uh, open and so forth as far as like do they account for the speed that the closeout's happening at do they measure yeah. it no from they, the they, they of the don't jump? really I think it's just it's pretty yeah. much just you know where they where they were when the ball was released I think is okay. but yeah you can't they don't account for like how long the guy's arms are or anything like that at least not the public stuff yeah well I, I've asked Rajiv about it he wouldn't answer so maybe we'll get an answer one day but the point is is that they are an incredible closeout team um they have so jalen and jalen brown and al horford are two of the best guys at closing out on threes in the entire league they this is something i think i wrote about in the middle of last year but they they have their philosophy on closeouts is be the second jumper just something stevens has said to me a lot is that their whole thing is they don't commit fouls on three-point shots because they're all about they're not about they don't want to block the shot they just want to see the guy go up in the air and then get up there and land right in front of his feet give him enough of a contest that you forced him to shoot a little bit earlier and he had to raise the ball too fast he didn't set his feet quite in time that they're very consistent applying that they're not a team they're not a defense and this is really the difference between being a playoff team and the not playoff team it's just when you see a guy taking a wide open three and you're not going to be one of the two or three people boxing out do you stare at him or do you run at him and the celtics always run at him so i think they really earned that 34 percent. so i think oh i mean maybe overall even if you look at all the data and have more uh, more contextual data, you would still have trouble statistically concluding that that defenses can really affect the overall three-point shooting number. But I definitely know just in being someone who's seen all these plays and has been studying this team, they definitely work to earn that. And I think it is, it's replicable. And I think they've done it a couple, well, like three years in a row now where they've had a great number there. So that consistency, I think, shows that it is replicable. Yeah, I, I do expect them to not be the number one defense this year. Um, I, I think in part maybe because they'll be playing traditional centers less. You don't expect Baines to play as much. The Baines-Horford combination was actually awesome defensively uh, all year, and it, I don't think those two guys are going to play together that much. Um, another reason is Kyrie's going to presumably play more. You know, he he still uh, is not the greatest defender. He took big strides forward in Boston for being just totally miserable in Cleveland. But, you know, he still ha- is not the biggest effort guy, doesn't have the greatest tools uh Hayward as well I mean I think coming back from injury a lot of times the defense not only because you're just not quite the same physically but just because I think players when they really think about oh my myself you're coming back from injury you really just focus on oh I'm back because my offense is back you know that's just like more core to what most players identities uh, are and then just you know I think you also have guys like Tatum and Braun again you know if you're a young player in your career the Celtics deserve a ton of credit for getting these guys to defend but as you move into another phase of your career especially in the regular season are you really going to be defending absolutely as hard as you can maybe they will be because they've got guys in rosier and spart behind them who are going to defend and and will be pushing these guys uh but and and then also you know if if they horford doesn't play as much if he takes a little bit of a step back uh, i do think that they're just not quite going to be the same
same but i think their offense is going to be a million times better and it'll probably make up for that so i do see them taking a slight step back defensively not even just because just more i think because of some of the just the way it feels around the team than necessarily even that the talent is worse yeah you know one other thing about just their overall defense is that if you look at like their synergy play type distribution the one the one area where they actually were number one in points per possession allowed is transition and i think the construction of the lineup matters less and less in your transition defense and it's really all about just your defensive coaching and a lot of attention was paid in the playoffs about uh the way that they protect the shell i always called it just protecting the line but now it's all the fun things you learn during playoff coverage and national uh, analysts are covering your team but um you know they're really good at running back getting the bigs to run back ahead of the break and stopping dribble penetration towards the top of the key or at the free throw line yeah i mean they're going against Giannis and simmons that way right so yeah and lebron and it worked they were great in transition defensively in all those series which was a pretty remarkable feat so you know and and i don't even know how it even gets recognized by the by synergy's numbers but a lot of those transition plays it's not just that they're allowing a certain amount of points per possession but that they're stopping the possession and then it turns into a half court possession so i bet the numbers probably look even better if you think about it that way so that's something that i think really just you know comes down to that they're just a very well coached team and they are really disciplined on defense and they all hustle really well so as long as these guys are healthy they're going to be able to outrun the competition and that's going to allow them to be more consistent and then just going to Kyrie and the amount of time on the court for him so when you look at lineups where Horford played the five last year without Baines which is kind of what we have to do since we're trying to see how the starting lineups going to look one of the lineups that we have that's really close to simulate I guess there's two lineups that are close to simulating what they had out there so there's the one where it's Morris instead of Hayward out there right and they had 306 possessions and the defensive rating was 114 and then the same lineup but it's smart instead of Jalen Brown only 150 possessions their defensive rating was 96.8 so I think that one it illustrates clearly smart's effectiveness um and Morris, I'm not sure if he's a better defender than Hayward. I would probably say no, uh, but I think he's yeah. a pretty solid defender. But it, but he replicates what he what Hayward can do defensively. I think fairly well. But um, yeah, it's it's a weird anomaly that Jalen is the factor there uh, or the variable yeah. there rather than Kyrie. But it, but I think Kyrie and Smart being out there, it shows that they can have a switching defense with Kyrie out there and still play really effectively as long as you, you know, as long as Horford's playing really well, obviously, and as long as you have another player at the four that can both switch and be strong enough to handle guys in the post and Hayward in his last year in Utah he played power forward about 30% of the time next to Gobert and they were pretty good defensively I think most of the time while he was in that position so he has experience being in that position I know that Tatum keeps getting listed listed as at the four and sometimes is taking that assignment but I think overall especially when they're matched up against really good five out teams I think Hayward is going to be more of the four than Tatum is going to be uh real quickly here because i know we're running short on time but uh do you think they're gonna switch a lot i mean obviously uh two through four they will but you think it will see like one through five switching from these guys with that starting lineup probably a decent amount um because they're really good at re-switching after the initial switch on the on the ball screen up top so i I don't think it's a big as big of an issue so like if there's a if there's a high pick and roll at the top and they switch and then Kyrie has to dive through the middle with the big usually uh whoever's covering the weak side corner sinks in and then switches 
switches and then Kyrie chases out to the weak side corner and then they kind of reset where Jalen or Hayward is now guarding that big so I don't think that's going to be an issue most of the time I wouldn't be surprised if, if they're going up against some teams with dual bigs like maybe Indiana they'll do this against maybe Philadelphia maybe Washington they might start with Baines out there instead and have Hayward come in with the second unit um just so that wow. they that don't, seems don't crazy to me that they would ever not start Gordon Hayward that like he he I think he has too big of an ego for that I would be shocked if they do unless he just really struggles for like the first month of the season or something like there's just there's just so many reasons to me why they wouldn't do that I'm I'm thinking of you know I'm, I'm talking more in the presence so you know if he's completely backed by the playoffs he's probably way yeah. too good to pull that off with and that's really that really the biggest challenge is that there's just going to be some nights where they want to start Baines out there it's like who the hell do you pull out of the starting lineup like those you're yeah. talking about three all-star caliber that's, players that's why I think they won't insane. do it that's why yeah, I think they, they probably won't, won't. Yeah. yeah but they might do an early switch I mean the thing is no matter what at the six minute mark they're gonna sub off either Kyrie or Tatum most likely although actually yeah. it might it might be Hayward I don't know how they're gonna do it um but they're gonna they're gonna sub one of those guys off and then they're gonna bring them in when they have more second unit guys out there they're gonna have two starters on the floor most of the time so it doesn't matter a ton and that's the beauty of having Hayward back is that they're gonna be able to have a starter that's great for playmaking and a starter that's great for defense out there almost the entire time so it just their consistency is going to be be way better so they probably don't have to react too much about worrying about the opponent beating them up on the inside early in the game because they feel like they can get those points back with the second unit a couple other weaknesses uh, that i potentially see uh, with this team they just don't have that one just like unbelievable shooter i mean they have a lot of guys who are very capable but they don't really have a guy who's like oh this guy's going to come off of screens and knock it down or which just we absolutely can't leave this guy but you know they have so much versatility that i don't think that matters that much they've always gotten up a lot of threes in the stevens era so i'm not too concerned about that but i mean i think especially off the bench they could have maybe used a player like that but that's i think that's relatively ancillary um you ready to do some predictions here oh god do we have to (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well you, you want me to go first sure sure all right uh, we'll do both regular season and postseason but uh, to start regular season i'm gonna go a little bit over the over under for them i'm gonna go 57 wins uh for this group my reason for that again is you know i think hayward is not quite back yet i think they're gonna be a learning curve in terms of trying to get these guys uh, all on the same page uh that you know i think they could potentially have health issues as well uh you know i mean Kyrie, uh two out of the last five postseasons he hasn't been able to un- to finish um you know hayward is coming off of this injury they might just you know uh be they're gonna be very very conservative in terms of both minutes and resting guys um you know horford i think isn't going to be quite the force that he was last year being 32 you would have to suggest that's the case i think he'll still be very good of course um so yeah I, I think 57 is more where i am for this team they certainly have the talent to really blow up and be you know even like a mid 60s wins team if, if everything breaks right uh and they also don't have like you know I, i'm not quite sure that Kyrie, especially for the early part of the season is gonna be the same guy he was last year when he was just you know i mean remember how ridiculous he was last year and you know people want to compare how they won 55 last year but their point differential was in the low 50s so they really would have to even improve by 
by six games uh to get to 57 and so that that's why i'm going there but you know i'm certainly very open to the idea that they could be a lot better than that so it's funny so uh, scal asked me the other day for my win prediction and i said 62 just to see how he'd react and he said that's it (laughs) and that that gave me people i i assume people are going crazy because their their line started at 57 and a half and now it's 59 and a half okay as you said over it i was confused so i am gonna go with 60 oh oh, yeah yeah i I meant to stay under but yeah okay yeah the only the only thing i pay attention to is terry rogier's bovada points per game totals i don't know if you saw that pop up yesterday but uh uh, bovada had terry rogier's over under at seven and a half points per game yeah we can't we're we're not allowed to cite bovada on this program like get uh gamblers get really mad at me because apparently bovada uh according to them is uh you know basically if you actually start doing really well there they just like won't pay you or like won't will like cancel your account so it's just kind of like it doesn't really matter like the reason why you shouldn't cite them according to these people is that you know they don't really have that much exposure because they'll if someone starts doing really well there so it doesn't kind of doesn't really matter that much what their lines are they don't have to put that much thought into them so yeah all all those emails from jimmy shapiro uh uh, apparently we shouldn't be citing those i'll talk about this off fair but um (laughs) (laughs) well we gotta talk about this after but so they i I don't pay attention to lines really um i i think 60 is the right place to put it for an equilibrium prediction because they if they're fully healthy and they don't have any like and like their offense is clicking earlier in the year they could win 65 66 games that's i mean that's pretty reasonable honestly but especially with lebron not in the east anymore it's like there's very few they don't have a lot of games where it's like they're really like kind of pushing themselves thin here like they're they're gonna have a pretty they're gonna have an easy schedule a lot of the time so i i just i think there's gonna be a ton of strategic rest they're gonna have games where they're just they're gonna lose them because they have a couple guys sitting out they're they're gonna they've been getting more and more cautious about resting guys for minor injuries in the last two years or so especially under they have a they overhauled their training staff a, a year ago and i think they're even more cautious now than they were before just because they've had such a terrible run of injuries the last three years basically so they're gonna there's gonna be some nights where like brad wanamaker is probably gonna start and yeah Yabu's probably gonna start so they're they're gonna have points in the season where they're you know they're in a, they're gonna be struggling and last year they shot so damn well and you know tatum like tatum had an unbelievable shooting season he yeah. had i mean his season was broken up into three parts between being a glorified spot-up shooter where he was lights out breaking his pinky and having a kid and he kind of went through a rut after that for about a month and a half and then came back after the all-star break after doing some work to kind of recalibrate his game and he was on fire again um that that shooting i don't know if the number is going to be replica is going to really happen again yeah. this year 43 percent last year yeah i think he'll still shoot over 40 percent, but teams are going to game plan for him differently now he took a ton of wide open shots last year he's not going to get as many wide open shots but he's also going to be able to drive to the lane a lot more easily so i think he's going to score a ton and he's going to look like a stud it's just that he's not going to shoot as deadly as, as he did last do, year do, so. do you want to make a you want to make a bet here uh on whether jason tatum shoots over 40 percent from three i'll take the over on that oh yeah okay what what are the stakes um uh, let's see dinner dinner yeah dinner next time how about three pieces of wagyu beef at (laughs) (laughs) so uh eight hundred dollars that's a little i'm still saving up 
that was what it was that like 250 like but a person that was oh my I'm god still recovering know, from that bill. that was brutal so yeah right, we'll do well, you're you're uh we got everyone's approval beforehand it was uh i mean every once in a while you gotta hey it uh, was worth it it was delicious yeah. i don't think i'm having that much trauma next time but all right we'll we'll give the listeners a break we'll do a separate podcast on our vegas dining adventures but um, yeah all right well so, yeah, so that's the that's the bet though that's the bet though the next uh the next momofuku meal we'll we'll, we'll <laughs> limit it to a hundred bucks though okay uh, that, i'm down for that okay um so uh best case scenario for these guys i've got i say it's, i'll say 64 wins i mean this team they could be they're the best defense last year they could be very close to if not the best defense this year and you know they probably have a, i mean i think it'd be a disappointment if they weren't a top five offense this year um so yeah i mean i think i kind of see the more finishing you know fourth and fourth in both categories you know to get to that 57 wins um but you know you could see them being second and second you know and, and being i mean this team has a ton of talent i, I could see them getting into that mid 60s and wins that you literally just saw the metaphor the analysis i was going to say i was going to say like if they're fifth and fifth in their ratings I can see them finishing at 60. <laughs> and then if they're two and two, I can see them at like 66. So uh, I'll, I'm going to use the number 66 because I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure that's what they had in 2008. And it this is. team this team is like the exact opposite team of that team te- a decade ago in like almost every single way. But I think they could probably reach the regular season high that that team reached. And that's what makes it. Mean, do you want to do a realistic case going all the way through the end of the year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think, worst, what, what do you think is worst case? Oh, for worst case, worst case is... Oh, 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 oh yeah. Yeah, end of the year sorry i didn't i didn't hear you yeah i mean oh, okay. you know they could they could easily win the championship i i will give my final prediction on whether they will make the finals or not uh tomorrow uh when i do my official predictions with danny but you know this is this is a championship caliber roster i think all right well i don't care about danny so i'll give mine now um so <laughs> <laughs> no, i'm just kidding but so i i think that they're i don't think they're gonna beat the warriors this year because if i do i sound like a ridiculous homer there's like a there's like a 30 percent chance that they win the title this year i think is probably the way i'd weigh it like 30 percent chance well, i think so, the warriors so, are i think the warriors if, are like let me ask 60. you this okay if okay so 30 percent chance to win the title so if they play the warriors in that specific matchup in the finals what percent chance would you give them of winning 30 percent because i assume they're going to play the warriors in the in the title so well so you're so, so doesn't you're giving them like almost a hundred percent chance of coming out of the east i'm giving them right now okay we'll say if, if it's way in the east i think they have like a 75 percent chance of wow wow they're just i mean i don't know i don't know what to expect out of toronto except that they'll probably be pretty comparable to where they were last year and a lot better in the playoffs but i think boston matches up so well against them and i I just don't think that I don't. I think that Boston's going to be able to expose the vulnerabilities that Toronto's going to have. With I don't know. You know, I feel like the five's going to be a vulnerability that can be attacked. Kyle Lowry's health is always a concern for me. And then like I, I picked. Actually, I probably shouldn't give away my MVP pick. You can tell by what I'm saying right now. I think Kawhi is probably going to. I think if Kawhi's going to bounce back, probably be the front runner to win MVP just because of how the narrative stuff works. But like Kawhi's probably going to be incredible. But just Toronto, I'm not sold yet on them being at the same level as boston just because of all the factors that boston has and the continuity yeah. that they have so i think boston's very likely to come out and then you know philly i think philly in a year or two could be at the same level but they're i, I don't i think there's just it would take me way too long to explain why i don't think philly's gonna be able yeah to no I, I i agree with you that boston has a massive advantage on, on philly uh maybe even more than they did last year um although you know we'll see if joel and b can really take a step forward but to me i think you know if Kawhi 
Leonard plays at the same level as he did in 2016-17, I might actually make Toronto the favorite. And then, you know, you don't know where Hayward is going to be and where Kyrie is going to be, you know, and obviously there could be other injuries involved as well. But I I see it as pretty close to a toss-up between those teams. I I picked Toronto to win one more game than Boston in the regular season, but that, you know, that could go either way. I do think that uh, home court, especially if Boston has home court, could be huge because, you know, I mean, Boston was so unbelievable at home until uh, uh, Game 7 against the Cavs, obviously, last year. So that was... uh, I really wish that Boston would have won that series, by the way. It would have just been so much more interesting of an NBA Finals than it ended up being, I think. But uh, I, I think yeah. I like the way it played out because LeBron lost in the Finals and then leaves for the Lakers. That set up a very nice narrative. Yeah. And you knew that the Celtics are going to be in position to make the Finals for the next like six six or seven seasons after that. So, you know, it's like, whatever. You know that they're going to be there next year anyway. Um, and hey, it came down to Marcus Morris hitting a wide op- missing a wide open three from the top of the key. If he hit that, they probably would have run that won that game so that kind of all turned around right there but then again you know it could have been a houston celtics final pretty easily if the rockets just maybe made two more three-pointers basically yeah so so your prediction is celtics lose in the in the nba finals uh, yeah uh, yeah yeah um and, what and, about yeah it'll ahead, be remar- by the way it'll be remarkable if the warriors win again because it's like you're you're encroaching on unprecedented territory here basically of in the modern post-merger nba of being able to be in the finals for what five years in a row and be able to win three in a row i mean that's that's yeah, pretty three in remarkable. a row and four out of five yeah that would be um but you know I, I think people are uh maybe overrating the warriors chances this year i mean i still think they're the most likely team of any to win the championship but i think they have a you know i'd take the field over them this year which i wouldn't have said uh in past years uh all right last thing we gotta do worst case scenario for these guys you know assuming we're not gonna assume catastrophic injuries as everyone knows but you know sort of realistic health and you know you can bake some of that in with guys coming off injury the way Kyrie and and uh hayward are so what do you see as the worst case scenario for these guys i think the worst case scenario is their offense looks like it did last week against the cleveland Cavs, and they are 23rd in offensive rating and they just they can't figure out how to run pick and roll and they can't coordinate on defense and terry smith rips off oh, terry smith terry rogier rips off his jersey in frustration during a game and then he wants to get traded before <laughs> the trade deadline and like you know all the egos start to clash Jalen and Jason don't really progress off of last year and Horford looks like it looks like he's lost a step I mean and those are all things that could definitely happen I mean yeah you know, so much of like, I, I don't the, think 23rd on offense could happen I mean I, I, it would <laughs> it would take just like a disaster for them to be below uh average I think even out of the top 10 would be a complete disaster for this team unless they're just unless Kyrie really goes down you know for a long period of time which you know is possible but I you know I'm still gonna imagine he's gonna play 60 games I mean, well, and you have to remember, I feel like we've done this a million times, but just for people that haven't been paying attention to it, Kyrie's injuries last year were all just symptoms from a previous surgery and they weren't re- they weren't new injuries. So like you got to look at it as is not that he is injury prone necessarily is that he got he got like basically like what was almost a staph infection from what was in his knee and it was like really bad. And that's what caused the issue. And they cleaned that all out. So we can't uh, assumedly can't get an 
another infection, which and something that uh, I feel like isn't really addressed enough and uh, something I definitely want to at least point out during this show is that we're talking about how great Kyrie was last year. I thought Kyrie was like 80% as good as he should be. He was like just as maybe just as good as he was in Cleveland during the regular season most of the time. I think he could hit another level. That was a big part of what Danny Ainge said when he traded for him is that we think he's hasn't actually had his his real kind of metamorphosis as an NBA player yet. So they think that he's going to turn into a Steph Curry level player, I think. And he's just, you know, he's at a tier below that now. Um, So that's a that's a big question is a lot of I think a lot of their ceiling is based on is Kyrie going to turn into like a 29, 30 point scorer who hits every single shot he takes and completely carves people up and is just impossible to contain. Because I think right now you can force him. He, a lot of the shots that he likes, I don't think are good shots. He loves taking a sidestep fadeaway three from the right elbow. And yeah, that's I, an awful shot. It's a terrible shot. And you know what? I watched him practice it 20 times this morning and he hit like 10 of them. It's an, it's, it's like the hardest shot pretty much of the game. And he, he takes it all the time and he airballs it a lot of the time because it's a, it's a terrible shot. So I think a lot of it is, can he, can he, for, can he train himself to be more efficient of a shooter and being able to make, make smarter moves rather than relying on his unbelievable skill set? And I don't know if that's going to happen this year, but maybe it'll happen next year. Um, and that's something that Steven seeks to push out of him because Steven did that with Isaiah Thomas and Thomas turned into a 30 point score because of, it. and that's really that next evolution that Kyrie needs to take. And that's the difference between them, you know, having you know having a chance to get to the finals and then them being on even footing with the warriors even possibly if you can really make that jump yeah uh, just so i'm on record here i've got worst case as 53 wins um and you know losing in the second round um yeah so i'll go with that and in worst cases they lose to the sixers not the raptors most importantly yeah 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 i think that's uh, that's right yeah i mean that would uh, philly being the number one seed would be a uh certainly a surprise for me uh, as well all right well thanks man this was fun uh where can everyone keep up with your work before we go uh you can find me jared weiss nba uh, on twitter and instagram and then i write for the athletics so see me on there and use the cap space uh url to subscribe so that you can keep making more podcasts and all that fun stuff <laughs> all right man uh, appreciate it and uh we'll see you uh when you're here talk to you later. Right. i look forward to next year's season preview <laughs> and and momofuku because jason tatum is uh not going to shoot 40 percent on threes again <laughs> We'll see. We're going to have to get Drew <laughs> Hallen involved in this one. <laughs> all right. All right. Talk to you later. Thank you. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.